Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. I love that Ali has already set the scene so beautifully. I love that our church goes back to the basics every start of the year, the foundations, worship, prayer, and the word. I love that God, the simple things never get old. I love that we're not a church that's here trying to like think up things that aren't in the Bible, like we need something new, something catchy, something flashy, but the simple gospel truths never get old, and I'm so grateful for that. And worship is something that I am so passionate about. I found my home in the presence of God. I found peace and a lot of my callings and a lot of moments that have set me apart for life happened in moments of worship, happened in the presence of God, whether I was 11 years old and alone in my room and I was baptising the Holy Spirit and I just worshipped God singing as a little 11-year-old girl or on a Friday night here as a youth leader, as our band is playing and God just fills the room with his presence and I feel once again spurred on and called to run again and to live for him. I want to talk to us say that worship isn't just a song and it isn't just a moment. It's beautiful and I love that we have moments and my life has changed from moments of worship. But it's living a life of worship is what our King deserves. It's a strong foundation for our faith to learn to live a life of worship. And so I just wanted to talk to us, we can go quickly to John 4.23. And I love this. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he says this. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here. It's now here, right now. It was there then, but it's, it's here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I love there that Jesus says the Father is seeking such people who will worship him in spirit and truth. And I'm wondering, church, if together this morning, it's not me preaching at you, but us together, you, me, us, can be such people, such people, and that's the title of my message, such people who will seek him and worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, this moment is so significant for a lot of reasons, but partly it's because who Jesus is talking to, a Samaritan woman, you know, the um, the Jews and the Samaritans, they, they don't get along. The Samaritans, technically, if we, not to be racist, like weren't meant to exist really, but they're an offshoot. It was a mistake and these peoples had been, that had tension and they'd been warring. And But Jesus saying this to a Samaritan woman that God is no, it's no longer about whether you're Jew, Samaritan, black, white, old, young, introverted, extroverted. The people that God is seeking are those that worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, I feel like today being a worshiper, it isn't about having a personality trait. It isn't about having rhythm. Can I say, I do love coming to this church and like being in Australia as an African because you guys make me look really good. And like, I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this. It's like at parties and stuff, right? I will do the most basic moves. Like barely anything people like oh my gosh like how do you dance like that oh my gosh like you're so great but like when I go back to Zimbabwe with like my with like my friends and family I'm like one of the bad ones like I'm like I'm like mediocre at best but here in Australia dude I feel like 
I feel like, yeah, I can, I can, I can dance, I can jive, I can, I can hold a tune, I can, I can do whatever. But what I love about worship is that aside from like dancing at a party or like being somewhere like that, is that God doesn't care about that. He doesn't care whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. He doesn't care whether my personality isn't one that's like whether I'm a wallflower or not. He is seeking those who worship him, such people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And, you know, Ali already said this, but God is worthy of our worship. That's what such people know. Such people that God's seeking understand that God is worthy of our worship. You know, the word worship actually comes from the old English word that literally translates to worth-ship. Like, so the word worth and worthy, worship is giving God his due. It's giving God what he deserves. I love Tom Wells. I've read the book um, Worship Changes Everything by Darlene Sheck. Changed my life. Read it when I was 16. It's completely changed the way I worship. I got that from Ruth Hatava and also another copy from Beck. Like it's been, it's changed my life. But this is what he says. He says, worship is a response to greatness. A man does not become a worshiper merely by saying, now I shall become one. A man becomes a worshiper when he sees something great that calls forth his admiration, his adoration and worship. Worship is our answer to God's greatness. You know, I was reading the book of Job, which is an interesting book to say the least, but I love when God responds and he says to Job in, in Job 38, 4, he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And then in verse 12, he goes, have you commanded the morning since your days began? Have you called the dawn to know its place? And it's just God kind of saying, I, I'm God. He is the one that created the earth. He is the one that made us. He is the king of glory. He's the creator of the universe. And I think, and sometimes, and I've had this conversation with myself that I'm like, he has made everything. There is nothing that exists that he did not make. The sun rises because God says so. Nations rise and fall at his word. And I, as a human, I get the opportunity to join in. You know, Psalm 19:1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Who's ever seen like a sunset one day and you've been like, well, okay, yeah, God's real. Yeah, have you ever had those moments when you just look at something so beautiful that calls forth the admiration of your heart and you're just like, oh yeah, yeah, he's real. Like, oh yeah, he's real. But guys, that's, that's, why, he's, that's why we worship because he's so worthy of it. And, you know, we know that the heavens are declaring it. Even the Bible says the rocks cry out in worship. And the question is not, is God worthy of worship? And not, is God being worshipped? Because we've just heard there that the heavens are declaring. The sky is proclaiming his handiwork. But the question is, are we going to humbly accept the honour of participating in that? You know, because not only did God make us and he's great and he's vast and he's amazing, but he, he loved us. Like, even if all God had done was just be creator of the universe, he'd still have done something so great that's so worthy of our admiration, that's worthy of our worship. He is still above us and still God. But our God, our God didn't just lord over us, but he wanted to come close. And even when humanity, we used to walk with him like Adam, we walked in the cool of the garden, we walked hand in hand. But even when humanity messed up, God had a plan. And that plan was Jesus. He, didn't, he knew that we were, he was worthy of worship. He was so above us. And we messed up. We worshipped ourselves, honestly. We chose wrong. But even then, he still made a way. You know, John 3, 6, he never gets old. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. That whoever, not just the perfect people, not just the people who are type A's, not just the parents, not just the grandparents, but whoever 
believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So not only did God make us and create us and he's worthy of our adoration just because of what we see in the world, but God so loved us. To be loved by God is no small thing, church. To be loved by God, it's the greatest honour because his love isn't like our love. It's never changing. In the Bible, it speaks time and time again that he's the God of steadfast love. Steadfast love and faithfulness. What other king would leave his throne in heaven and come down to earth, die the death of a criminal, defeat the power of sin and grave forever to a world that rejected him? And not only that, but when Jesus went back to heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit the reassurance of his tangible presence and assurance of the salvation and eternal glory that is coming. Not only did God make us, not only did he save us, but he is with us and he is worthy of our worship church. And you know, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to let a rock cry out for me. Yeah, the rocks are crying out in worship, but Barty, she's crying out in worship. Because who, who would do that? Who's like God? Who else is like God? There's no one. And so we worship because he's worthy of it. I love in, um, in the Gospels, a bunch of Jesus' disciples desert him and he turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys going to go too? And Peter, he says, like, where else can we go with you are the words of life? With you are the words of life. I, I haven't found life anywhere else but at the feet of Jesus. I haven't found anywhere else that's as steady and as sure but the feet of Jesus. And, you know, we worship because in a broken world, our soul knows very well that there is no good that I possess that doesn't come from the Lord. It knows that in a world of conflict, because of Jesus, I have peace. That in a world of destruction, I have a reason, the reason I still breathe is because Jesus. That in a world of confusion, I have a firm foundation and a true north. We worship because he's worthy. And you know, another point is, worship is meant to be a lifestyle. According to the Collins Dictionary, this is what they said that a lifestyle is. So it's like the living conditions, behavior, habits that's typical of a group of people or that are chosen by them. And a lifestyle of worship is something we choose. You see, I think sometimes if we treat worship like just one moment on a Sunday, like just a song in the car, we can sometimes diminish the significance of it. You know, Jesus says in that verse in John that to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that means that it's not just one moment. It's not just one once a week or even twice a week or even everything. It's taking, he's a God of wholehearted devotion. You know, the Bible says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. He's a God of wholehearted devotion. And a lifestyle of worship, it means that I don't wait for a song to realign my allegiance with heaven. You know, it realigns our allegiance and postures our hearts back towards our first love. But if that's happening just on a Sunday or just when I play a song, I'm going to be reviving a lot. Like it's going to be, it's going to be hard. It's kind of like doing like the shock thing when like you come back and you're like, zzz, zzz. Like, that, like that. I don't think that can be good for you to happen all the time. But such people understand that it's a lifestyle. And I love how Romans 12 verse 1 in the Amplified says it. This is Paul. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. So worship is being a living sacrifice. It's taking your whole life 
everything that you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, the Monday, the Saturday. It's taking your workplace, your family. You know, there's this Latin phrase that I love. It's coram Deo. And it literally just means before the face of God or in the presence of God. And it means to live with the mindset that we're continuously dwelling in the presence of God. Not just when I choose to put on a worship song or not when I just walk into the doors of this church, but in my whole life I'm living in the presence of God, living in the face of God. And a true worshiper, a spirit and truth worshiper, such people remember that God doesn't just want our Sunday, but he wants our every day. And, and I'm not going to lie with you guys, it's, it's costly. It's costly to, to truly live as a living sacrifice. It costs us something of ourselves. It's cost me sometimes my comfort, my ego. But I found that there's nothing, I have no other response but to give God my all because he gave me his all. I love David in 1 Chronicles. He says, I'm not going to offer God sacrifices that cost me nothing. And, you know, I'm, as someone who's living and living this lifestyle of worship, I, I know it's going to cost me, but I refuse to give God anything less. I refuse to give him anything less because Christ already made the ultimate sacrifice. So we don't have burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings. Thank the Lord, because if it smelt like a butchery in here, I might have to like move churches. Luckily, there's no like altar here with like the priests like sacrificing live animals would have like Greenpeace like knocking at our door, probably being like, y'all, y'all are shut down. But, but no, all he asks of us now is, is us, is our hearts. It's the one thing he desires in response to his great love. It's our hearts. And it's choosing to live with eternity in mind, no matter the circumstances. A life of worship is a life that's determined by your convictions, not your circumstances. It's a term that I've pre-decided that I worship God. And that's, that's my conviction. And it doesn't matter what I face. I'm going to worship him. It's choosing to glorify and honor God in everything, all the time. Your finances, your speech, your work your purity, your marriage, your friendships, in your pain, in your confusion, in your victories. But it is something that doesn't just happen. It's something we commit to. It's something we choose. And the beautiful thing about God is he just wants whatever's in your hand, all of it, all of it. I love in Mark 14, we see, we see Jesus and they're at the house of a Pharisee and they're having, um, actually, I think this one in this, actually, we're going to go to Mark. So he's at Simon's house. And I think this is a picture of our hearts towards God, of the lifestyle of worship. So while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, why is the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus, can I get a, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So today we t I tell it because this woman these people scorned her. These people looked at her. Why are you wasting what's so precious? But she knew that everything precious she has does not even compare to the precious 
likeness of Jesus. She knew that whatever of worth she possesses, whatever of worth she finds in her hands, whatever it is, it does not compare even a shadow to Jesus, to knowing him. You know, I found in my life that when I started uni, I recently finished my degree. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Literally only by the grace of God. Only if you guys had seen me at like 2 a.m. on a night when like a thesis is due, you guys would be, yeah, only by the grace of God. But I found, I decided to be like a wholehearted worshiper, spirit and truth, to live a lifestyle of worship. And I decided that I'm dedicating the way I'm going to study and do this degree, the way I'm going to walk about it. It's going to be a sacrifice and a worship to God. And so I found that the way I spoke was different. In a, in a degree like law, there's a lot, they tell you a lot to focus on you, your drive, your ambition, your thing, you, 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 you. This is your degree. This is your future. But I had already decided before I started that degree that I and everything I am and everything I do is a sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God. And so that meant that there were times when I was, I was left out. There were times when maybe opportunities that seemed like the best opportunity, I didn't go for them because they'd taken me away from the house of God. There were times when I remember I was sitting with my internship coordinator. She was the head of crime for all of um, Solicitors New South Wales and now she was a judge and I was sitting with her and she was like, Barty, if you just give this the next eight years of your life, you could be great, you would be even better than me. If you just give this everything for the next eight years. But I was like, I don't have anything to give because I've given everything to God already. I've already given everything. But I've seen that as I've put God first, even though it's been a sacrifice in the moment, He's so gracious and so loving that the doors He opens were so much better than what other people thought. And yes, maybe success looks different in the eyes of the world. Maybe I'm not going to be her thank the Lord, but like, maybe I'm not going to be her, but you know, I'm going to be who God has called me to be because I've decided that I'm living a life of worship as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, that everything I have means nothing compared to the eternal worth of knowing my Saviour. And that's why we worship with such people that realise this, such people that the Father is seeking. You know, I know I've talked about how worship isn't just a moment and it isn't just a Sunday gathering, but There is so much power in our worship. You know, we worship because God is worthy of it. We worship because we're living lives of living sacrifices. But we also worship because there's power in it. We don't worship for the power because God would be worthy of our song. Even if he did nothing else but die on the cross, save us, he'd be worthy of it all. But God is so gracious and so kind that even though the worship is due to him, worship is just us giving God what he deserves. But yet even then, he lets his presence come into the room. Even then, he lets his joy, his peace, his love. In worship, we can feel the tangible presence of God. In worship, we encounter him in ways that are just unbelievable. And that's the power of the corporate worship. Like, yes, worship is for us in our day-to-day. We're living lives of worship, but there's so much power in the corporate worship. There's so much power in the unified song. You know, it unifies us as one people, of one heart and one mind under God. That's why when we worship together as a church, it's so important. God says that unity commands a blessing. And worship together is something that unifies us. It's important to the health and the vision of a house that we worship together as a church family. You know, the people of God have a rich history of telling his goodness through song from one generation to the next. Let's not be like those guys in Exodus who raised a generation that didn't know what the Lord had done. 
But when we sing and we worship together with our children watching, with, with our generations and generations, it tells the goodness of God and gives him the praise that he deserves. You know, sometimes we may feel like we don't, like we don't have it in us to bring a praise that's worthy of the king. But as I said, as that woman said, just bring what's in your hands, what's in your heart. Even the Bible even says that a broken and contrite heart, he will never reject. So even if it's a broken melody, we bring it anyway. Because we know that when we come into this place together, there's something that happens that we're his bride, we're the church. You know, I think sometimes you need to step in the authority though. Yeah, we are the church. We're the bride of Christ. And he is coming back for us. But until then, we're going to live lives that glorify him. And when I come in on a Sunday, I'm bringing whatever little faith I have, whatever little alabaster jar I possess. I'm bringing it into the house and I'm going to raise up a worship because I know that there's power in our song. You know, it was, this, it was worship that brought down the walls of Jericho. It was the Israelites unified together that brought those down. And it was Paul and Silas, like in Acts 16. I'm going to skip a little bit, Harms. But basically, they've, they've delivered this woman from, um, from demons. And like the guy, is, her owner is like mad at her because like, yo, I was getting money from her. Like, what are you doing? You've stopped my business. But they're like, this girl has to be free. So they get thrown into jail, basically. They get, they, they get thrown into jail. And so I think we'll go, we'll go from verse 25. So at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I think it's so interesting. So interesting that the prisoners were listening. They were just doing their default, I'm guessing. That they knew that if times are dark, they'd pre-committed that we're worshipping. If things are good, we're worshipping like in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came and they're like, yes, we're worshipping, we're praising. But even in a prison cell, even maybe if we didn't, don't deserve to be there, wherever I am, I'm going to worship. The prisoners are listening. There's always people listening to your song. You don't realise, but as a person of God, you have influence. You have authority. The spaces that you occupy, you have influence in them. People, prisoners are listening. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself for supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and they rushed in trembling in fear. He fell down before Paul. He said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them at the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Church, there is power in our worship. If the band could come back up and join me right now. But there's power in our worship. The only reason Paul and Silas could have a praise in the darkest midnight hour was because they were living lives sacrificed before God. It doesn't just happen. You don't pull it out of nowhere. But it was hearts that were already positioned to live a life of worship, a life that's holy and acceptable before God. Not because they were perfect. They made mistakes. They still make mistakes. It wasn't because they were perfect that this happened. It was because they'd pre-committed to living lives that are just sacrificed before God. There is power, yes, in my worship and in your worship, but there's power in our worship. You see, Paul and Silas weren't alone. 
they showed us that when two or three are gathered, two or more, God is there in their midst. You know, the power of our worship is that God, the Word says God inhabits the praises of His people. If we want to bring heaven, if we want to bring the power of God into our circumstances, we need to worship. If we want to bring the power of God into the city, into the MacArthur, we need a church that rises up and worships, even if it's dark, even if I'm trapped, even if I'm stuck. One thing circumstances cannot take away is my conviction that I'm worshipping the King of Kings. One thing circumstances cannot take away from me is my conviction that everything I have, the Bible says let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If I'm still breathing, I'm going to praise. If I'm still breathing, I'm going to praise God. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter who's in charge. Politics say what governments say. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my fear says. That little voice in my head that says I'm not good enough. If I'm still breathing, I have a song to sing. I have something to give to the Lord. So church, I'm wondering if this morning, can we be such people? Can we be such people? Such people who worship God in spirit and in truth, who say, I may be an introvert, but when I'm in the presence of God, I give Him my all. Some people who say, yes, I've got Monday to face and my circumstances may not be what I want them to be, but I'm going to worship because God is good. Even if it doesn't look like it, I know because we're living by conviction, not by circumstances. We're living a life that honours God. So if you feel comfortable, don't you just stand in this place? The altar's open too. If anyone wants to come forward and worship, the altar's open. It's open and we're just gonna, we're gonna worship God. Now, as I said, it was in the midnight hour, in the midnight hour, in the darkest night, thank you. It was in the darkest night where Paul and Silas were in jail but they rose up a song and they sang praises to God. And as they sang, not only did their chains break, but the doors of every single captive was free. So we're gonna worship God, not because we need anything from Him, like we want anything from Him. We're gonna worship Him because He's worthy. But I'm wondering if we're gonna have faith to believe that as we worship, things change. So if you feel comfortable, why don't you raise your hands in this place as the band comes and joins me. We're just gonna worship God even before we start singing, why don't you just tell God, thank you. Just worship Him with your words. Say, thank you, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We worship the King of Heaven, the God who is mighty, God who is worthy to receive all glory and honour. Oh, we worship the Lord of Heaven's armies, the one who commands the sun to rise and set. We worship the God who heals us. If you've been saved, yeah, you better lift up praise. If God has saved you from your sin, if He has delivered you from darkness into light, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.